1 Kings 18, beginning at verse 1. This is God's holy and infallible word. After a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. And so Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria, and Ahab had summoned Obadiah, who was in charge of his palace. Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord. While Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves, fifty in each, and had supplied them with food and water. Ahab had said to Obadiah, Go through the land to all the springs and valleys. Maybe we can find some grass to keep the horses and mules alive so we'll not have to kill any of our animals. And so they divided the land they were to cover Ahab going in one direction and Obadiah in another. As Obadiah was walking along, Elijah met him. Obadiah recognized him, bowed down to the ground and said, Is it really you, my lord, Elijah? Yes, he replied. Go tell your master, Elijah is here. What have I done wrong, asked Obadiah, that you are handing your servant over to Ahab to be put to death? As surely as the Lord your God lives, there is not a nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to look for you. And whenever a nation or kingdom claimed you were not there, he made them swear that they could not find you. But now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here. I don't know where the spirit of the Lord may carry you when I leave you. If I go and tell Ahab and he doesn't find you, he will kill me. Yet I, your servant, have worshipped the Lord since my youth. Haven't you heard, my Lord, what I did while Jezebel was killing the prophets of the Lord? I hid a hundred of the Lord's prophets in two caves, fifty in each and supplied them with food and water. And now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here, he will kill me. Elijah said, as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, I will surely present myself to Ahab today. Then I'm going to read just the next verse too. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. That's God's word for us this evening. I'm calling this sermon Living for Jesus in a Spiritual Wasteland. If you look around today, if you look at the headlines, you could make a good argument, I think, that we're living in a spiritual wasteland, in a desert. You know as well as I do that last weekend someone with radical Islamic beliefs walked into a nightclub that was especially frequented by the LGBT community, LGBT community, and opened fire. He killed 49 people, the largest mass shooting in U.S. history, and there are too many storylines to follow to keep straight. Terrorism, radical Islam, the gay lifestyle, access to weapons. The whole thing, the whole tragedy just makes your head spin. As Christians, of course, we've all been following the presidential primaries these last months. And though we say, and I think it's true, there's nothing new under the sun, it seems that we're at a whole new level of low when you hear the rhetoric. We're so low as a society that the major topic of discussion these days is who's allowed to use the bathrooms. That's the headlines of the day. Who can use the public restrooms? That's getting low. 
what a strange time we're living in. You know, and then, and then we, we, we ask, where's the church in all of this? Well, the church landscape is tough, too. I, uh, I spoke a couple of weeks ago with uh, two young women and their mother. These two young women grew up in our church. They're now married and live out of town. Uh, one's out of state, very far away. One is just a few hours away. And both struggled with me, and I, I didn't know this till we, we got into the discussion, just the struggles that they've had to find a good church. It's not that there are not churches out there, but the struggle was that they could only find churches that are about an inch deep. What they shared is that they're finding churches who say that they're an inch, they don't put it that way, but they're doing what they're doing to reach the lost, but it's hard to see if they're saving anybody. And it seems like all they're doing is dishing up church light to people who want a more entertaining worship experience and who want certainly a whole lot less accountability in their Christian life compared to what the historic church offers. One of them, and I hesitate saying it, but I'm going to, they had the experience of walking to church one morning with a certain huge hit from the 1990s. It's called Baby Got Back, playing in the worship auditorium to kick off a new sermon series. It's really bad if you know the content of that song, and I'm not telling you, I'm not advising you to look up the lyrics. Um, she got tears in her eyes that a church, something calling itself a church, would do that. One of these women, after a couple years, found an excellent church to call home, uh, but the other young woman still hasn't found one. Actually, this morning, I shared all this with the elders, and one of the elders um, this is the girl who lives out of state, uh, gave me a contact for a church near her uh, that I'm going to pass along to her, a faithful church. And I've heard more stories than this about the challenge of finding a good church home from people who I know who've moved away. Of course, there are good churches out there. Of course there are, and there are faith churches. But in some places, the church landscape seems to be a wasteland. There's another way we can be living in a wasteland, too. You can be in a good place spiritually, like I believe you are if you're in a church home like Faith CRC or another biblically-based congregation. But even then, you know, we, we can have dry spells as believers. We can feel parched. We can feel like we're dragging spiritually. Maybe... Uh, you know, we're wondering why God is having you or, or a loved one or someone else that you care for in, in the body go through such suffering continually. Maybe you're going through a time of questioning your purpose and your direction in life. And maybe you just don't feel like you have the excitement about the faith that you want to, that you once had. And then these verses are for you too. God's people have known spiritually dry times before. And that's what's going on in these couple chapters in 1 Kings. It's spiritually dry, and it's literally dry too. With wicked King Ahab on the throne, God sent his prophet Elijah 
to give word. This is the beginning of the last chapter, chapter 17. God gave his, told Elijah to tell the king that there would be a long drought. God's people then were living under this natural disaster and living under a king whose heart was far from the Lord. The end of 1 Kings 16 tells us he introduced the worship of a false god, Baal, to Israel. He led the nation with principles that went totally contrary to God's covenant. Kings, you know, was first written for God's people who were in exile. Way near the end of, near the, end of the, the Old Testament, living then. They, they had been conquered and then uprooted from their homeland to live in exile among the Babylonians. And that was a scary and depressing time. They were God's covenant people, given the land of promise and all of God's blessings that went with it. But now, because of their sin, it had all been taken away. So the faithful were living in a spiritual wasteland. No temple to worship in anymore. The people around them didn't know the true God. Well, during that time in exile, God still sent prophets so that the church in exile could hear his word of grace. And he also gave the people this history that we're reading to show them where they went wrong and to show them people like Elijah and Obadiah who remained true to the Lord. It's written to show them how to survive the wasteland by, by listening to God's word and by waiting for God's son. And we can survive our hard times too. God has always kept his people I believe by his grace, he's given us a church here where we're a support to one another, an oasis, a home for many in the wasteland where we can hear God's word and live it and, and share it with others who are in the desert. Our verses give us some encouragement along those lines. How do we live in the midst of the spiritual wasteland? How do we live if we're going through a dry spell ourselves? First, we live with patience. We live with patience. We wait on the Lord. The Bible highlights the patience of the prophet Elijah. Back in chapter 17, he gave Elijah a message for King Ahab. There will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Elijah gave the message. Then the Lord told him to hide and then not a whole lot happened. We, we talked last week about the, in chapter 17, how God cared for um, Elijah with the ravens, how he cared for the widow Elijah was staying with, and how he raised the widow's son. But those were just a couple of events. There was mostly waiting. We read in our verse, after a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Three years, it's a long time. And I can't even, you know, you try to put yourself, you know, those are sort of the preachers of the day. And you try to put yourself in, in the prophet's shoes, which is really hard to do because those they did some crazy stuff. But 
I, I can't imagine God telling me to preach a sermon one Sunday and then go into hiding to wait, basically, for years. I mean, no more meetings, no more hospital visits or funerals or weddings, no more sermons week by week, no more worship planning for three years. Hmm. But this is not a time for R&R. God's last word was judgment. And then he remained, for the most part, silent. The prophet's whole job was to bring God's word, but there was no word to bring. I think Elijah would have felt pretty useless. Maybe abandoned by God, what was he supposed to do? I'm sure he was just grieving for his land. This was a trial. This was a challenge. What, what do you do when you know God is there somewhere, but in a sense, you feel like his hand has been removed from your life and, and you're not feeling his presence? Well, the Bible calls us to live with patience to patiently wait on the Lord. And we find that more often in the Psalms where a child of God is feeling spiritually parched. Psalm 63, we sang from it. My soul thirsts for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. The call in those times is patience. Psalm 40 says, I waited patiently for the Lord and he heard my cry. And sometimes there's a distance in time between that waiting and hearing the cry. It's not always immediate. Paul talks about living with great endurance or patience in 2 Corinthians 6, 4, and in 2 Corinthians 12. Live with great endurance in times of hardship. James 1, 3 says that spiritual patience is especially developed in the time of trial. So in the dry times, we patiently wait on the Lord. And we see here that in the waiting, God will take care of us. He'll sustain us. We'll make it through. He sustains his servant Elijah in a miraculous way. And God also brings, in the midst of that time, a really unexpected blessing. The widow whose son was raised said to Elijah, this is just before our verses, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. So in the waiting, when I'm sure the questions came for this dear child of God, Elijah, why, Lord, what are you doing, Lord? Why aren't I hearing from you? The Lord in that time graciously affirmed Elijah and he assured him of his calling and that he was on the right track. By patiently waiting. After a long time, verse 1 of our text says, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Literally, the Bible says there, after many days. And there's a pastor who I, I read sometimes, A.W. Pink, who writes about that and says, that's a reminder of how we're called to live in the dry times. After many days, it says, days. We're called to live day by day, one day at a time. We all count our years, but the mindset of faith is really 
to count our days. Give us this day our daily bread. That connects with our do not worry morning text too. Do not worry about tomorrow. The Bible promises new mercies for each day. Just like God provided manna for his people in the desert, one day at a time. Our minds way too often project way too far ahead. Instead, we're called to rest in Jesus, trust, patiently wait on him, and he'll sustain us. It brings us to our next calling, and it's this. We live with patience in the wasteland, and we live in faithfulness. We live in faithfulness, and we see this especially, we see it with Elijah, but we see it especially with this Obadiah. He was a servant of God living in the wasteland too. What was his calling? It kind of interesting, huh? He served as God's prophet in Ahab's palace of all places. And you think, how can this guy be a good guy if he's working for wicked King Ahab? But, but he was. I mean, the Bible says as much, right? And we see that while the king and queen are, are killing off the Lord's prophets, he had hidden a hundred of them in two caves. So God was definitely using him. Obadiah working in this environment reminds you of Daniel serving in the Babylonian and Persian courts in exile. That was a secular environment if there was any. And yet his calling was to work in politics there, be an administrator in the government. Reminds me of Joseph too, served God faithfully in Potiphar's house and then later second command in Egypt. You don't have to work for a Christian in order to faithfully serve the Lord. I think there are certain work environments where it might very well be impossible for a Christian to be. But if we don't have to compromise our principles, there are all kinds of places where believers can find their calling in this world, right? In the hard times, in the times when God's grace seems to have been removed, Obadiah was called to live faithfully for the Lord, to do his day-to-day tasks with the view toward loving God, loving those around him. He served a greater kingdom even while he was working for this really selfish king. Huh? In addition to patience, waiting on the Lord, that faithfulness in the day-to-day is always our calling as God's people. And with a lot of us, we can spend a lot of time, we can waste a lot of energy worrying about the bigger picture. Uh, we, we have these concerns, and I think they're rightful concerns about our country, maybe the church, and, and that, can, that can make us almost paralyzed by fear. It, it can drive us almost into a spiritual lethargy when we're dry like well what's the point of it all anyway it's not making any difference what we're doing well instead we're called to live for the lord put one foot in front of the other step by step living for jesus the israelites in exile as they received this history of their nation would have been reminded of that too as they read about Obadiah. They also would have been reminded of why and how they ended up in exile 
when they were reminded of Ahab's lack of faithfulness. When God sent the drought, Ahab's proper response was to wake up, to confess his sins, to turn to the Lord. Israel's kings were called to lead the people to a faithful walk with God. Instead, this guy dug in his heels even more. There's no humility, no sorrow for his sins. His wife's killing off the Lord's prophets. Instead of calling the people closer to God's word, he silences God's word. He's looking for all the prophets, especially Elijah, to silence the word of God. What a dangerous place to put yourself in it. In Ahab's unfaithfulness, God's showing his people in exile their unfaithfulness, how wrong it was. Defiance to the Lord will be punished. And it's a warning. Uh, it's warning us that we don't just do our own thing in life. Walking away from the Lord, disobedience to the Lord, shutting our ears to his word, it's going to lead to heartache, it's going to lead to pain. And you know, this is how people can respond today to trial, to feeling lost, instead of turning to the Lord, reject him, insist on doing what they want to do with their lives, what they want to do with their bodies. We seem to be seeing a wholesale defiance to the Lord of heaven in our day, and it's, it's scary how do we live in a spiritual wasteland, whether we're thinking about our, our culture and times, our own personal life? We live in day-by-day -day faithfulness and obedience. Faithfulness to God's people, I think, the church. Faithfulness in our relationships. Faithfulness in the big things. Faithfulness in the small things. Finally tonight, we live in anticipation. Also, we live in anticipation. We do that because even in the worst of times, there is always hope in our God. And we see that in our verses. Though it was a long, long time, guess what? God was still there. The word of the Lord came again. And Elijah, who had been patiently waiting, does not hesitate, does he? He responds. Like all faithful hearers of God's word, he obeys immediately without question. Elijah and Obadiah meet, and though Obadiah is understandably fearful about telling Ahab the news that Elijah is back, Obadiah too listens to God's word when it comes, and God gives him the courage and gives us the courage to do what we need to do to listen to his word even when we're afraid. We're going to see next week, the Lord willing, with Pastor Matthew, that something incredible is around the corner. An amazing, glorious manifestation of God's power on Mount Carmel. God's people who have remained patient and faithful are going to get an assurance of God's love and power like they've never seen. That's getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. The people of Israel in exile, they lived this way too, with a great anticipation, depending on what they knew was the reliable word of the Lord. They lived as children of the great promise that Jesus would come. God's word 
in the flesh, the one who would come to forgive their unfaithfulness and defiance, which resulted in that punishment and exile. Jesus came, he died, he rose again from the dead to forgive the shortcomings of all his people. And he freely offers an amazing grace that fills us up in the wasteland of our culture. It fills you up in the midst of your own sin and doubt. And we too, we live in anticipation of what is promised. Jesus is coming back. It's around the corner. Jesus is going to make all things right instead of the spiritual wasteland that is this life. He's going to bring us to our heavenly home and it's going to have the river of life flowing from the throne of God down the main street of the city paved with gold. Jesus sends us his Holy Spirit to be our living water until then. That refreshing water is for each one who believes in Jesus. He fills you. He refreshes you for the journey. He gathers and he builds his church, this oasis for our lives. I hope that you experience that oasis every time we gather for worship. That refreshment in God's grace, that's what we have to offer people. In the wasteland of the world, in the dryness of your own heart and mind, we gather to be filled again, to go out into the world patient, faithful, and hope-filled servants of our God. And may you go from here tonight walking in patience, living faithful, obedient lives, filled with hope and anticipation for what is to come.